Good morning. How are we doing? Good to see you this morning. Uh, before I get into my message, I just, I just want to talk to you. I just want to share with you a couple of things on my heart. This past week, I was over at my father-in-law's house. We're getting it ready to sell, and, and I was over there, and I was uh, getting ready to leave and go out of the neighborhood, and a car came in, and it came in over on my side, a little bit too close, and it came in, and, and I could tell that the lady in the car was a little frantic. She didn't quite know where she was, what was going on. She, I, as I passed her, she just put her hands up like this and did, like, like this. And I passed her, stopped, and I backed up, and I rolled down my window, and she said, you know, I just was going someplace, and I just got lost, and I need your help. And she said, will, will, will you help me? Do you know where West High Street is? I know where the street is, but I didn't know how to get there from where I was. So I said, how about we do this? How about you give me the directions of where you're going? I'll put it in my phone, and how about I lead you there? She says, that'd be great. She followed me in her Honda Accord, and we got all the way to the destination, and the Lord really just showed me something about that, that we serve a God who wants to lead us. We serve a God that sometimes we know, hey, this is where we're going, and sometimes we're a little unsure, and in the midst of that, he is sovereignly in control about everything, and my soul was just quieted. My soul was encouraged. My soul was, was grateful because I know where he wants us to go. He wants us to go deeper and deeper into the gospel. If we were to summarize the gospel with a couple of words, I just wrote down some here. The gospel is love. It's Jesus. It's forgiveness. It's humility. It's peace. It's boldness. It's people. It's mission. It's death, burial, and resurrection. It's scripture. It's mercy. It's grace. And it's eternity. All of that is wrapped up in this beautiful, beautiful message of good news. And I, I just got so encouraged by a couple of verses, De Deuteronomy 31.6, which says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he says in Romans 8.28, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And so I'm so grateful that I get to stand here and just get to celebrate some really cool things. I'm grateful that I get to, I'm grateful for the conversations that I had this week that were birthed out of last week, our family chat. I'm grateful for your prayers that you lifted up this week because I just want you to know that God is answering them. And there were great conversations that took place this week for the glory of his name. And I want to celebrate that with you. And I want to beg you and I want to ask you to keep praying because he's there to lead us. And he will do that. And let me make sure you understand, he is doing that. And I don't want us to miss that. I'm also excited. I'm excited that I get to be one of your pastors. I'm excited that I get to be one of your pastors and I get to work alongside of Jade and Adam King. And I'm, getting exci I'm excited that I get to work with David and Shannon Amon for the glory of his name. I prayed 11 years ago, 12 years ago, God, I want to plant a church in an area called Northwest Cary. And I asked him and I begged him, would you, would you assemble a team? And he did that. And so you're an answer to a lot of people's prayers to be gathered in this place at this time for a great, great movement of him. And I'm grateful to be a part of that. I don't know where my family would be, especially the last four months, without you. 
I have no idea where we'd be. You stepped up above and beyond I, even we could ask or imagine. And so I, I just want you to hear that I love you, that I'm encouraged by what is going on, because as God desires to move us deeper into the gospel, it involves peace, it involves forgiveness, it involves love, it involves joy, it involves humility, and it involves all of those, because he is all of those. And I'm grateful to be able to stand up here and say a verse that has been such a great encouragement to my soul. And that is this, um, Philippians 1.6. I said this on November the 8th, uh, 18th. It was a verse written by Paul to the Philippians, to the churches in that area. And he says, I am sure of this. And that confidence that he writes this verse over the Philippians just wrecks me in a great way. And the Lord has just continued to birth a confidence in him over what he's doing and what he continues to do. And it says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I hope you believe that. He's got a great plan for us, and it involves us witnessing to people, preaching to people. It involves us opening up the Bible. It involves us being at peace. It involves all of those things. Why? For the glory of his name. And I'm grateful that we serve a God in heaven who says, hey, just follow me. I'm in control. And I'm going to take you where I want you to take me. Sometimes you understand and sometimes you don't. But just follow me. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to preach John chapter 12 in just a minute. But I just want you to hear that I love you guys. I'm excited about Northwest Community Church. I'm excited about what God is doing and where God is taking us and the lessons we can learn along the way, the good and the tough ones, because we'll be better for it, and our ministry will be better for it, and our influence in our community will be better for it. So what I want to do right now is I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for our church. I want to jump into John uh, chapter 13, and I just wanted to share my heart and, and let you know that it has been a good week with a lot of good conversation and good answered prayers and the Lord has just birthed a, a confidence in me, in him uh, that he's doing what he desires to do. So keep praying and keep plugging along and uh, let me pray for us right now. God, I'm so grateful that you in your sovereignty saw that we were an absolute mess that we were unable and incapable of having a relationship with you. And you made all of that possible, not by our good works, but by your grace. You sent Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin. And each and every day we celebrate that here in this place, in this auditorium. In a couple of, couple of weeks, we're going to stand up here and we're going to say that you are risen, you are risen indeed. And we'll do that with a lot of other churches all over the area. And so we're grateful, grateful that we get to do that. And I'm, I'm grateful that, that you are leading us and that you're not going to forsake us and, and that, that, that you, and I'm asking that you would give us this confidence in you that you began a good work, that you will see it through and that you would give us definition and leadership and understanding and grace to hear you, to see you and to follow through. 
And I'm grateful that you're going to use the next three weeks as we sort of camp out in the last two weeks of Jesus' life, or the last week of Jesus' life, to really learn great lessons of humility and love and, and how those all go together. Um, Lord, you are a good God. We love you. I love you. Lead us. Lead us. We desire to follow you. So lead us to help us to make much of you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 13. Go ahead, jump into John chapter 13 with me. Open that, turn that on, whatever the case might be. What I would love to do here is, again, we're in John chapter 13. First, starting with verse 1, we're going all the way to verse 17. Okay, so what, what we also want to learn is that all throughout the Gospel of John, we've been seeing these great and unbelievable encounters of gospel transformation. And God oftentimes is using these object lessons to really to teach us about who he is. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing for what is going on. So in, in John chapter 13, Jesus once again gathers his closest followers for, so that they might understand what he's trying to do. And one of the things that he wants them to understand is that he wants them to understand that humility is critical to living the life that we are to live as a follower of Jesus, but that humility comes out of a love for him. And so the title of the message is Love Driven Humility, and that's really what I want you to see all throughout the text. We'll read through it a couple of times, we'll read through this, make some notes, and then we'll go ahead and we will make some points there at the end. Verse 1. Of chapter 13, here's what it says. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. Remember what we understand in John chapter 1 verse 27. John the Baptist is declaring that Jesus is coming into the world, that he is the lamb that was slain. That he will be the lamb of God. It says, behold, the lamb of God comes who does what? Who takes away the sins of the earth, sins of the world. And so here's what Jesus is prophesied to do all throughout Scripture. John the Baptist comes up and says he's coming. Jesus is coming into the Passover, which is a traditional celebration of the Jewish people of God's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. They come into Jerusalem to celebrate this. Jesus comes into this specific, this specific celebration recognizing that the Lamb is himself. And he recognizes that it is his time to do what he's been put on this earth to do. First and foremost, to glorify God. And second, to give his life for those who need redemption and forgiveness of sins. So here's the festival. Here's the Passover. He's coming in. And the Passover time, and John, is, John in chapter 1 declares what he's coming to do. And now we see that. And here is the verse that absolutely wrecked me this week, or the part of the verse. It says, so he, he departs out of the world to the Father. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world. Here's the, here's, the, here's the text. He loved them to the end. What an unbelievable phrase that I pray this week and next week and Easter week. You will never get over. That the Bible in the text declares to us that Jesus loves them and he loves them to the end. We can sit there and say, well, what in the world does that mean? It, it means he loved them to perfection. One author says he loves them utterly, absolutely, to perfection, totally, completely, and without reservation. We look at the way Jesus loved. We look at him at the last week of his life. We see that the, the, the disciples were not arrested, but Jesus was arrested. 
And Jesus worked that out, that they were not arrested, but he, he was. He also tells those that when he's on the cross, he says, I want Mary to have a home. I want her to be cared for. And he goes to the, to the end of trying to protect her because of his love for her. And one of the greatest love the demonstrations of love is when he's on a cross as a criminal and right next to him is a thief. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So this love that he has for his disciples is demonstrated again all throughout the scripture, all throughout the Bible, and especially in this last week of his life, we can see that. So this love, what I believe is, I think our text is teaching, is this love gives birth to this great humility to esteem others better than yourself. In verse 2, take a look at verse 2. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And I want to make sure that we understand why is that verse there and why is it talking about Jesus? I think it's that that verse is there so that we can understand what does it look like to have love-driven humility and a love of ourself and the danger that takes place when we love ourselves like this guy, Judas. We know that what Judas did, he betrays Jesus. He's going to betray Jesus. But he's signified, he's, he's pointed out in this situation. So we go to verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Listen to me. Let that sink into your mind right now. That this is Jesus, who is God in the flesh. He had all things at his disposal. Every single thing at his disposal was his. And what he do? He set that aside so that he could come and do what he was supposed to do. And that's to glorify God and give his life. And so we see what he's doing right there. In verse 4, what did he do? He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Listen to me right now. This text right now is a great, a, a great picture. A great picture of this text is right up here on the screen. That right there is a very own Northwest zone, David Amon. At his wedding, washing his wife's feet. Isn't that awesome? At their wedding, David um, had a basin of water and they washed each other's feet. And here's right now is the, in this text what Jesus is demonstrating right here. Is he's demonstrating to them a level of humility that they did not understand but they needed in order to be effective in the, in the world with the gospel. You see, when, when Jesus stood up from the table, when he rose from the table, what does it mean? It means he took initiative. He was the first one to stand. There were a lot of people at the table, but nobody stood. Just a few verses ago in other gospels, they were arguing over who could be the greatest. And so you would think that they're gathered in this little area right here. You would think that they would sit there and say, oh, let, let me do it. Because common practice meant that when you would go into someone's home, it was natural for your feet to be washed because you had been walking for so far. Whether it was in mud or whether it was dust, that was common practice. And it was common practice for a slave. And so here Jesus is getting up from the table. He takes off his outer robe. He takes a towel and puts it right on his waist. And he dresses as a slave would do. He, he goes up to them with calmness and majesty, I believe. And pours this water into a basin and he washes their feet, 
even the feet of Judas. And he washes their feet. And he does this, and he does this for the glory of his father. He does this to teach them what does it mean to serve? What does it mean to live your life and look at others better than yourself? See, it was even noticed, it was even noticed that you would even take your foot, and if you were to even point your foot at someone, then it would mean that you, that was an offensive uh, demonstration. It was offensive if you were to take your foot and point it at someone during that time. So Jesus is dressed as a slave, and that's, that's what he's doing, he's washing their feet. The greatest Jew to ever, to ever walk the face of the earth dresses as a servant and washes their feet. And then it comes down to verse six. Let's jump there. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter is stunned that they would let him wash their feet. So he's going down, he's washing everybody's feet. He goes to, you know, Thomas and, and Jesus, uh, John, and he goes all the way down to the line. He goes to Judas. He comes to Peter. And, 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 and a lot of people believe that Peter just jerked his feet back. Like, I'm just telling you right now, you're not washing my feet. You, you're, you're not, you're not going to do this because that is so degrading for you to do that. And so Peter is so overwhelmed and he is so stunned that they would let him do that. And so Jesus and Peter start having a little bit of a conversation together and we'll 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 go there you you see to peter this was backwards culturally for this man to do this but listen to me it's not backwards biblically and that's the difference so here here we look at verse seven um verse seven says this jesus answered him what am i what i am doing you do not understand now but afterward you will understand Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. So he was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly upset that Jesus would do something like that. So here's what's going on right now. Jesus is gathering the disciples together. He's got them. He's he's washing their feet. It's one of the most humiliating things for them to be able to, to see and do. Let's go on and keep reading. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, this is verse 8, the latter part of verse 8. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. There's a serious tone change in in the tone of Jesus at this time. Because he was demonstrating a message of humility and service. But Peter comes to him and says, there's, there's something deeper. There's a theological lesson that Peter needs to learn and understand very clearly here. And Jesus sort of sets everybody aside and goes right one-on-one with them. And so there's an additional profound truth that we can take a look at. So verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And so Peter jumped in head first. So Peter is sitting here and, and, and he's looking at it and going, okay, 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 I'm jumping all in. Just listen, listen, you have, some of you have that personality of Peter. You know, when you're in, you are all in, like 100%. And Peter is a guy of extremes that we can learn a lot from, okay, a lot of lessons. And so when Peter, when he tells it, when Jesus tells him these things, man, it just overwhelms him. Here comes the lesson. Let's go down to verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash 
except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Are you clean? Jesus knows, and that's why he's doing everything in your life right now. Because of the way you answer that question. We desire here at Northwest for you to be clean. What that means is for you to be regenerated, for you to have salvation, for you to know that if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity with heaven, not because of your good works, but because of his work on the cross and for his salvation and his salvation alone. So again, what is our lesson? Our lesson is love-driven humility. And then we come off to the side and Peter is learning a lesson of saying, hey, listen, here's what I want you to know something. Verse 11, here's what it says. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so here's what Peter is, is learning, is that salvation is only by Christ alone, through faith alone, in Jesus, period. There is no relationship with Christ unless he has cleansed us from our sins. And what, 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 what Jesus is using in this illustration is he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to know that I'm going to cleanse you positionally. I'm going to take care of you positionally. And once that is, takes place, it doesn't have to be done anymore. But when you get your feet washed, you do that. Because in Jewish cultures, what they would do is, the guys would take a bath every day. But they would wash their feet when they would walk from one place to the next. So a bath would not be every day, but the washing of their feet would take place. The washing of their feet in this illustration right here is repentance. That is confession of sins. That's what Jesus is trying to teach Peter in this little side note right here. Listen, I want to let you know, I cleansed you. You are forgiven of your sins. You are positionally standing before me. You are justified before me, before God. That's been done. But I want you to understand, washing of your feet is a representative and illustration of repentance. First John, first John says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm grateful that in the book of Acts, we see Peter in Acts 4.12, who says there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved. He makes a declaration as he preaches some of the greatest messages in all the time. So Peter understood this. He got this. It was affirmed. It was reminded, and he understood it. And so... Jesus, there's a quote for you. Jesus is saying, once your inner man has been bathed in redemption, you are clean. You are saved. From that point on, you do not need a bath. You, need, you do not need to be redeemed again every time you commit a sin. All God has to do is daily get the dust off your feet. Positionally, you are clean, as he told Peter in verse 10. But on the practical side, you need, to, you need washing every day as you walk through the world and get dirty feet. This is repentance. So verse 12, let's jump into verse 12 after this lesson. He comes back here. So when he had washed the feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? So he gets back to the message of love-driven humility, verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Message on Bible interpretation and understanding the text. If the text says, Jesus says, you ought to, you ought to. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was seminary, a lot of seminary for that one. 
So if it says you ought to, now in addition, verse 15, for I have given you an example that you, that you also should do. And if it says you should do this, you should do this. I know, you're blown away by that knowledge right there. It's just right here in the text. He's telling us exactly, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to be about. This is what you ought to do. You ought to wash other people's feet. You ought to serve people for the glory of my name and do so out of a love-driven humility. Verse 16, truly, truly. Somebody tell me what that is, please. It's a, it's a double, what? It's a double amen. Tim Burke's right there. It's a double amen, guys. It's basically what he's saying right there is, listen, if in, in Jewish times, remember what we talked about in the first part of John. You were to say something, then somebody, at, somebody next to you would amen your statement or affirm your statement. There had to be two witnesses to it. Jesus is saying, I don't need two witnesses to affirm what I'm getting ready to say because it originated with me. This came from me. This came through me. This happens by me. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He's saying there is no hierarchy. Not one is better than the other. And, and, and we have to understand who's saying this, this argument from greater to lesser, because we're just talking about King Jesus who sits up from the table, dresses as a slave, washes dirty feet of sinful people, and he asks us to do the same in serving others. I think it's important for us to really realize a lesson. Remember when Jesus, in verse 4, it says that um, Jesus, um, he rose from supper. Remember, let me, let me go back. What was taking place back um, just a couple of times later is that the disciples were gathered together and they were arguing who is greater, who is greater. I want to sit here, I want to sit here. And as all this was going on and Jesus taught them and then he gets them into the upper room and there's an opportunity that you're sitting at the table and there's an opportunity for you to stand up and for you to serve. And nobody stands up. I know most of you know that I fight with my dog Lucy. But Lucy is very well potty trained and Lucy will go to the door and she will take her nose and she'll clip the blinds that are on the door. And what that means, it's very simple, I gotta go. So there can be seven people in a room plus one other dog, because we have two, and there's seven people in the room and Lucy will nuzzle her move and there are certain times that nobody moves. It was like, I didn't see it. I can honestly tell you I've done that. Okay, I've done that. He, here, here's what Jesus is, is demonstrating to us right now. Is he's sitting there going, listen, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to take the initiative. But in just a few short hours, I'm going to be gone. But listen, I'm coming back. And in the meantime, what I want you to do is I want you to know how you can serve in humility based on the love that we have for each other. I think there's three lessons I want us to learn. Number one. Number one, I want us to love like we're loved. Love like we are loved. And so we look at this text and it says he loved them to the end. We look at John 3, 16 and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And then we look at Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, that means we're at our worst, Christ died for us. So it's all about love and love and love. And then he says, here, what I want you to do. I just want you to love like you're loved. If we demonstrate and we love like we are loved, man, I'm telling you, the Lord will use us in a radical, radical way. That'll be tremendous gospel transformation as we've been learning for the last several weeks. Christ's gesture shows that no expression of love is beneath him. And in doing so, he tells us in more ways than one that it shouldn't be for either us either. I think one of the things I'd like to challenge, I'd like to challenge us men. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, hey men, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I just sort of want to, in the middle right now, just get in your face a little bit. Okay? It's that when it says that you love your wife as Christ loved the church, it's a bold declaration that you're ready to die for your lady, guys. And I've never, ever met in a situation, in a marriage situation, where the men and the ladies, they're, they're, they're on the mission of God. They're participating in the mission of God. I've never met a situation where they're not on the mission of God when the men aren't loving like they can and should. It's a great demonstration when we love our wives, guys, like we can, like we should, willing to die, willing to lay down our lives sacrificially with our tone, with the way that we look, the way that we, the, the way that we look and notice things, that we observe, that we're aware of things, that we take initiative in pursuing the heart of the woman that God has given us. And he says, here's what I want you, I want you to love I want you to love sacrificially. Why? It goes back to our point because we're going to love like we are loved. We're going to love like we are loved. And number two, love like we are loved leads to a humble posture. Love like we are loved leads to a humble posture. God can do unbelievable things when we recognize that we are here to wash feet for, in the name of Jesus to serve people, to love people. Matthew in the Great Commission, Great Commandment says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's every part of your being. And then what does he say? And love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying, hey, I want you to love this way, and I want you, I want you to love this way, and I want you to love that way. And this is what he's trying to make sure that they don't forget because in 24 hours, he will be arrested, he will be flogged, he will be beaten, he will be nailed to a cross. So what, what does he do? He gathers together his family and he washes their feet. And when we lead in a humble posture, we lead in a humble posture with not accepting anything in return. When we love like this, we're loving for the glory of God. We're loving out of an obedience to him. And Jesus, I mean, Jesus washed Judas' feet and Jesus washed all kinds of people's feet. He washed the disciples who followed him. He washed the disciples who denied him, Peter. And he washed the disciples who were all in. He talked to them. He cleaned them. A humble posture for King Jesus is what is needed and not a pat on the back from the world. Number three, we wash one another's feet by being in close relationship with one another. We wash one another's feet by being in close relationship with one another. I'm gonna, again, continue to shock you with my study here that you can't wash people's feet if you're not next to people or in the life of people. I mean, that's just, that's just brilliant, isn't it? I mean, here, here's what the text is telling us right now. He's telling us, here's what I want you to do. Jesus is saying, you ought to, you should to. But what the, what the inference is in the text is that you must 
be in deep relationships with other people so that you can know, so that you can serve, so that you can hear them, so that you can listen to them, so that you can struggle with them, so that you can laugh with them and you can cry with them. And it's radically important for us to be in those relationships so that we hear and that we're able to be vulnerable. And we have life groups that can continue to do that. We have different avenues for that to take place. But we got to let people in and not be as scared to show them how dirty our feet are. I went to Israel in 2013. I've shared that I've been there um, before. But I went to Israel in 2013. And it was a fantastic trip. And so one of the things that I was over there doing and what I learned is that when we were over there, we went to two bodies of water that everybody likes to go to. First, they go to the Sea of Galilee. And I've shared with you that I went to the Sea of Galilee sat in the middle of a wooden boat in the Sea of Galilee and just watched all along the coastline where the tour guide was talking about Jesus doing all these great miracles. It was phenomenal. It was life-changing. It was incredible. And the water that day, some people will ski and some people will fish and some people will boat. There's a lot of life in the Sea of Galilee. And here's the reason. Water comes in and water goes out. And then uh, we went on our trip, continued on our trip, and we went to the famous Dead Sea. And I want to let you know that this guy right here sinks like a lead balloon in every single water body of water he tries to get into. I cannot float on my back for the life of me. I have no idea why. I can't do it. Somebody says, put your shoulder blades together, arch your back. Listen, I've tried everything. I've given up. I'm 47 years old. I'm not going to do it. I went to the Dead Sea where the salt content is unbelievable. And there's no life out there. It is water. It's salt. And it was unbelievable. And I got in there and I floated in like 16 feet of water. I just sat there. I was like, this is incredible. This is awesome. It's floating. And here's, here's, my, here's my lesson that we learned. Because life, life happens when life is given and life, when life is received and life is given. Like the Sea of Galilee. Water comes in and water goes out. But in the Dead Sea, it's different. Because water comes in, it doesn't go out. And that's why it's dead. That's why there's no life there. And I think what we, we see in this right here is Jesus is looking at his 12 disciples and saying, hey, listen to me, one of you right now is going to check out. One of you, I, I know that. He, he declares that. I know Judas is not in. But what I want you to know right now is that you will leaven, and as you replace him, you're going to do that. But what I need you to know right now is I need you to know how to serve people, how to lock arms with people, how to wash their feet for the fame of my name and for the glory of God. I want you to do that. And I want you to do that. How? I want you to do that but a love-driven humility. And that's what he's talking about in this gospel transformation encounter. We know what Peter does. Peter denied him three times, even after that little episode right there. But it served Peter greater later. And so here's what we look at in our text. If we were to summarize right now, we, we have an opportunity for love-driven humility. We have an opportunity that, that love drives us to a posture, a posture of humility. And we have an opportunity right here in this place each and every week to lock arms with each other and to, at times figuratively, at times physically, wash each other's feet. But we have times figuratively to wash our feet and serve along each other 
for the fame of his name, for our good and his glory. And I am loving doing that with you. Um, it's a beautiful text of what it means to serve, what does it mean to care, and what does it mean to love. And this gospel transformation story, I hope, will be used for God's glory as we continue to walk into the Easter season and as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus because he deserves it. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you for today. Thank you that we can be here in this place and we can talk about you. We can share what you're doing. We can pray to you. We thank you for answered prayer. We thank you for um, your goodness, your grace. Thank you that there is no one like you. Thankful that from now, even next week, as we talk about the triumphal entry, as we talk about Thomas, who was radically changed by you when he was skeptical. Lord, use the next three weeks to continually use that gospel message to change us. I pray that we would, we would come to you and understand our, our need for you. We would understand how great you are. I pray that we would uh, praise you, we would worship you, and that we would trust you. love you and we ask you to have your way in us right now what I'm going to ask you to do is to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed for just a little bit and I'm going to ask you right now Jesus looks at Peter and tells him he needs to be cleansed my question for you is have you been cleansed by the only one who can cleanse you King Jesus I want you to think about the answer to that question and I want you to think about your application of that message. And in just a few short minutes, Lauren and the team, Lauren is gonna lead us into a song. And when she starts singing, when she starts singing, I want you all to stand up and I want us to sing to the glory of his name because he's good and he loves us. He deserves our affection. He demonstrated humility. May we do so as well. We're grateful for this text. Grateful that we can understand it and live it out. So take this next maybe minute or so and just answer that question. Have you been cleansed? And if not, might you repent and believe right where you are? God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Please save me. I want to encourage you to tell somebody about that if that's what you do today. But take some time. And then Lauren will sing. And when she sings, you stand up and join. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.